Convicted and Convinced, a message from God's Word for you. And now, here's Dr. Dan Gerard. As satisfied as I was about Christ's confirming of the Seventh-day Sabbath that we examined in our last session, I had to deal with question number two. Was the Sabbath of the Old Testament kept by the apostles? It was necessary for me to receive a biblical answer because I knew what some would say in all probability if I just presented the findings to question one. It would go like this. Dan, we agree that Christ did confirm the Seventh-day Sabbath while He was on the earth, but He knew that it would end immediately after the cross and that His disciples would immediately adopt the first day of the week as the new Sabbath for Christians. And so it seemed very logical to me to follow the footsteps of the disciples and the apostles to see if indeed they did walk in the steps of Christ in relation to the Seventh-day Sabbath. The appropriate place for me to start my focus was at the death of the leaders of the New Christian Church. It was very important for me to look at them and to understand that Jesus, in His death, did something very special for them. And that specialness was that it enabled them to be like Jesus in all aspects of life and living. When I, as a Sunday-keeping Christian minister, have been asked why Sunday is regarded as a Christian Sabbath, I had replied that it was on Sunday that Jesus rose from the dead. And so the disciples began to assemble on Sunday as a display of their new covenant faith. And so I turned my attention to the attitude of the disciples on Sunday, that resurrection day. It was very important for me to observe them because, as I just shared, for many years I had preached and I had taught that their assembly on Sunday was proof that Sunday was the new Sabbath. So here are a few questions that I examine. Question number one. Was their assembly one of joy, celebration, and faith? The Bible gives us a concise answer, and some very interesting facts become clear after observing the attitude of the disciples. I want you to notice three points. Number one, those disciples on that Resurrection Sunday were not assembled because of joy and celebration, but rather they were hiding behind doors that were shut for security reasons for fear of the Jews. I read from John chapter 20 and verse 19, then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, underscore, 
when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. So again, I repeat, they were not assembled because of joy and celebration. They were hiding behind doors that were shut for security reasons because they were afraid of the Jews. Second point, they were not worshiping in faith, but rather they were full of unbelief and hardness of heart. Mark chapter 16 and verse 14. Afterward, Jesus appeared unto the eleven, and as they sat at meat and upbraided them, underscore, with their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. So again, I repeat, they were not worshiping in faith, but rather they were full of unbelief and hardness of heart. Point number three. Their attitude and assembly did not receive commendation from Jesus, but rather Jesus upbraided them for their lack of faith. Again, I read from Mark chapter 16 and verse 14. Afterward, Jesus appeared unto the eleven, and as they sat at meat and underscore upbraided them, with their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. That word upbraid is a very interesting word. It literally means to scold. It means to find fault with. It means to severely criticize. Now, let me ask you a question. Does this sound like Jesus was pleased with their assembly? At this time in my study, I asked myself a life-changing question. Danny, can I really be honest, and can I really be truthful with the Bible and continue to believe and teach that this scene on that Resurrection Sunday was one of worship of God? Was it one of acceptance of Jesus having risen from the dead? Especially when these very verses make it plain that they did not even believe the report given by others that Jesus had risen from the dead. So how could this be a time of joy and celebration and faith? Second, in looking at the attitude and practice of the disciples, how often did the disciples assemble? I reasoned to myself that if I could prove from the Bible that Jesus met with his disciples only on Sundays, then it must be admitted that perhaps Sunday keeping is legitimate. But on the other hand, if Jesus met more often, and if the disciples met more often than just on Sundays after his resurrection and ascension, 
then there would develop a real problem for the practice of Sunday keeping being based on the assembly of the disciples on that resurrection Sunday. I believe with all of my mind and all of my heart that it is not good to read between the lines of Scripture. I believe with all of my mind and all of my heart that we must allow the Bible, not tradition, not public opinion, not popular philosophy to speak for itself because the Bible is its own best commentary. To begin with, I want us to notice the instruction that Jesus gave his disciples when he met with those followers after his resurrection and prior to his ascension. Acts chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. Dr. Luke wrote, The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach, until the day in which he was taken up. After that, he underscore, after that he through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, underscore, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God, and being assembled together with them. Now, there are many points in the scripture that I could bring out, but I want you to notice two points in this passage. Number one, we're told in verse number two that Jesus gave the apostles specific commandments through the Holy Ghost. And nowhere, I say it one more time, and nowhere, may I say it one more time? And nowhere do we read of Jesus commanding them to replace the fourth commandment of the seventh day Sabbath with a Sunday keeping commandment. Nowhere. Question, don't you think that Jesus would have explicitly dealt with this issue if a change should be in order to make sure that there would be no confusion? Don't you think Jesus would have done that? But Jesus did not do so. Why did not Christ do this? Because to Jesus, it was not an issue. Second point in this passage, Jesus was seen of them, we're told in verse 3, 40 days. And so it seemed very reasonable to me in my simplistic mind that since there was so much that Jesus needed to impart to them and so little time in which to do it, in all probability, he met with them more often than just on Sundays. Next, I want us to notice how often the followers of Christ assemble after his ascension. Look at Luke chapter 24, verses 52 and 53. These verses tell us that after the disciples witnessed their master ascending to heaven, they worshiped him. 
and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were underscore continually in the temple praising and blessing God. So according to this passage, how often did they assemble? Continually. Dr. Luke in Acts chapter 2 verse 46 also wrote to help clarify this. Look at it, Luke 2 and verse 46. And they continued, underscore, daily with one accord in the temple. So it's very plain, my friends, they did not assemble just on Sundays. The Bible says daily they were meeting together. And so it becomes apparent that establishing a Sunday-keeping principle on the basis of the gathering on the resurrection day is not one that will pass the test of responding to the area of their daily meetings. I also began to study in the book of Acts. The book of Acts traces the journey of the apostles from the ascension of Christ in 31 AD to the approximate date of 62 AD. And it was very interesting for me to observe those early years of Christianity as cataloged in the book of Acts. I want to very briefly make five stops with you from the book of Acts. And I want us to notice the attitude of the apostles relative to the seventy Sabbath. First stop, Acts chapter 13 and verse 14. And when they, speaking of Paul and his companions, departed from Perga, they came to Antioch and Pisidia and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. This incident took place in approximately 45 A.D., 14 years after the resurrection. Now, please follow me closely. Paul, after being invited to speak, delivered a powerful message talking about the gospel, revealing Jesus, the Messiah. He focused on that perfect grace, that amazing grace of Jesus Christ. After Paul finished his remarks, Acts chapter 13 and verse 42 states, and when the Jews were gone out of the synagogue, the Gentiles besought that these words might be preached unto them, underscore, the next Sabbath. Now, here's where this first stop really gets interesting. In regard to which day the apostles recognized and practiced as the Christian Sabbath. Until then, Paul had been addressing the Jews. And so, one might insist that it was in that light that Paul chose the Seventh-day Sabbath to preach unto them. But now the Gentiles approach Paul and they invite Paul to preach to them the very same message 
the next Sabbath. Now, I may be simplistic, but it seems only logical to me if Paul had been keeping Sunday as the Christian Sabbath, he would have thrown up both of his hands and he would have taken this opportunity to inform those non-Jews who wanted to hear the gospel of grace that Christians do not recognize the seventh-day Sabbath of the Jews to be holy, but rather Christians honor Christ by assembling on Sunday because His resurrection was on that day. You see, then would have been the opportune time for Paul to start them off on the right foot, if you will, in in informing them that they did not need to wait an entire week. All they had to do was meet with him the very next day. But what happened? Drop down to Acts 13, verses 44 and 48. And the next Sabbath day came almost the whole city together to hear the word of the Lord. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. So what conclusion must we draw from this first stop? The conclusion is this, Paul instructed both Jew and Gentile to keep God's Word, and they did, even the Seventh-day Sabbath, 14 years after the resurrection. Second stop, Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15 contains the record of what we call the Jerusalem council meeting. It convened in approximately 51 AD, 20 years after the resurrection. Through the ministry of Peter, Paul, and others, many Gentiles were accepting Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. The Bible says that certain men began to teach that Gentiles could only be converted and become part of the Christian community by submitting to circumcision. A dissension developed, and it was determined that a special meeting be held to discuss the problems. After the discussion, James, the moderator of that meeting, gave his determination, and that determination is recorded in verses 19 through 21. Listen that we trouble them not which among the Gentiles are turned to God, but that we write unto them that they abstain from pollutions of idols and from fornication and from things strangled and from blood. For Moses of old time hath in every city them that preach him being read in the synagogue every Sabbath day. Now please follow me closely. The Jerusalem Council dealt with some very weighty problems, weighty problems that were threatening to erect a barrier between Jew 
and Gentile. But the question of whether to observe Saturday or Sunday as a Christian Sabbath was not included on the agenda. Why was it not discussed at that meeting? I determined that it was not discussed because it was not a problem to either Jew or to Gentile Christians. Also, look at verse 21 again. And Moses of old time hath in every city them that preach him, being read in the synagogue, underscore, every Sabbath day. And I remember asking myself this question. Why would James even mention the Sabbath day? Why? Why would he even mention the Sabbath day if the Sabbath day was not still in effect as a designated day for recognition? Why would he do that? So what conclusion must we draw from the second stop? Twenty years after the resurrection, the followers of Jesus were still observing the Seventh-day Sabbath. Third stop, Acts chapter 16, verse 13. And on the Sabbath we went out of the city by a riverside where prayer was wont to be made, and we sat down and spake with the women which resorted thither. This incident took place in approximately 53 A.D., 22 years after the resurrection. Now, please follow me closely. The apostles were in the city of Philippi. There was no church in the city of Philippi. And I have wondered on occasion, what would have happened in Philippi if Paul and his companions had not followed in the steps of Christ to keep the seventh-day Sabbath holy. What would have happened? But I want you to look at what did take place as a result of their remembering the Lord on his day. The Bible says that Lydia not only listened to their message, but she was also baptized. Not only was she baptized, but her household was baptized with her. Not only did she listen and was baptized, but she gave a place of rest to those apostles and a place, a base from which they could do evangelism. My friends, because of the faithfulness of the apostles to the Lord on his Sabbath, a mighty church was birthed in the city of Philippi. So what conclusion must we draw from this third stop? Twenty-two years after the resurrection, the followers of Christ were still observing the Seventh-day Sabbath. Fourth stop, Acts chapter 17, verses 1 and 2. Now, when they passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where was a synagogue of the Jews, and Paul, underscore, as his manner was. Let me stop there just a moment. I can still remember so very vividly 
when I read that in the context of my study, and it dawned on me that Paul was doing exactly like Jesus did. Do you remember what is recorded of Jesus? The Bible says, as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And so Paul is just imitating Jesus. As his manner was, he went into them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures. In approximately 53 A.D. is when this took place. 22 years after the resurrection, Paul's path was still that of observing the seventh-day Sabbath. To further emphasize Paul's consistency in keeping the seventh-day Sabbath, I want to make one final stop. It's found in Acts chapter 18, verses 4 and 11. And Paul reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded the Jews, and underscore this next word, and the Greeks. And he continued there a year and six months teaching the Word of God among them. The approximate time of this chapter was A.D. 54, 23 years after the resurrection. And I found it very interesting that Paul did not meet with the Gentiles on Sundays. Did you get that? He's meeting with Jews and Gentiles. And I found it very interesting that he did not meet with them on Sundays, but rather every Sabbath, the Bible says, for 18 months. Paul's practice was to assemble for worship and instruction with Jews and with Gentiles. Now, a little math proves very fascinating. A year and six months is 18 months. And when you multiply 18 months times four Sabbaths in each month, you come up with at least 72 consecutive Sabbaths that Paul met with Jews and with Gentiles to preach the Word of God. So what conclusion did I draw from these five stops? I drew the conclusion that the book of Acts, as the history of the church, leaves no room to doubt which day the apostles observed as a Christian Sabbath, after the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. What day did they keep? The Lord's Day. When is the Lord's Day? Saturday, the seventh day of the week. So why am I a Sabbath-keeping Christian? I'm a Sabbath-keeping Christian because I believe if it was good enough for the apostles, it's good enough for Danny Gerard. When I was growing up in a Sunday-keeping Christian church, we often sang a little song in Sunday school that goes like this. Give me that old 
time religion. Give me that old time religion. Give me that old time religion. It's good enough for me. It was good for Paul and Silas. It was good for Paul and Silas. It was good enough for Paul and Silas. It's good enough for me. How about you? Is it good enough for you? If it was good enough for Jesus, as we noted in our last session, if it was good enough for the apostles, as we noted in this session, again I ask, is it good enough for you? Dr. Dan Gerard is the pastor of University Parkway Seventh-day Adventist Church in Pensacola, Florida. Our weekly podcasts are recorded every Saturday morning. Bible study begins at 9.30. The sermon begins at 11. You are invited to join us. We live stream the 11 o'clock service. You can catch that broadcast at our website, universitypkwy.org or at Livestream. A library of previous messages is available on our YouTube channel and on our website. Thank you for listening.